Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is episode 148 of Death Readers, the podcast where Rob and I are reading books for the first time. In this episode of Death Readers, we're reading The Children of Hurin by J.R.R. Tolkien, chapters 9 through 15. Rob, do you have any housekeeping? Yep. Oh, good. I guess. I hope. <laughs> Last time I was trying to remember Firestar's name, and I called her Jessica? It's Angelica Jones. Oh, that's it. So, I'm sorry. Well, that one... it. I knew it wasn't Jessica me. Drew. I still I was leading into that Jessica. It was not Angelica. I'm I'm a dumb dumb. I apologize. Well, Jessica Jones is a character that you know of. Jessica Drew is a and, character I yeah. know of that's associated with Spider Man. Doesn't yes. it doesn't make it okay. Only loosely though. More tightly than Jessica Jones. I guess, but only I mean, I guess. Yeah, anyway. You do guess. Um but we've cleared that up. I'm just saying there's a famous page in, in a, a New Avengers issue where someone asks her how she got her name and if she stole it from him. And he basically says, she says no. Just saying. Just saying. She, she, she clears it up that they have no relationship to each other. <laughs> uh, she doesn't clear it up in the fourth dimensional Marvel office. Where clearly they were like, hey, we need a, a spider lady or a spider girl or a spider woman. Perfect. Sure. Sure. Why not? But she's just saying powers aren't the same. No. Anyway. Um, so. I don't care. So you cleared up that very important thing that is not getting us distracted from talking about the book we're reading. That's great. Any Conversations th- can't be all comics, Doug. Anything else you want to talk about before we get uh, into the book? Before we get into it? No. Okay. Then let us begin. Dear listener, with Chapter 9. The Death of Beleg. Beleg survives the orc raid on Turin's bandit camp, but cannot find Turin's body among the dead. Assuming his friend is alive, but taken captive by the orcs, Beleg sets out to find him. First, Beleg discovers and wakes a one-handed elf sleeping beneath a tree. This elf's name is Gwyndor, a veteran of the Battle of Unnumbered Tears, who Morgoth took captive and enslaved for his skill at mining. In those mines, Gwyndor did toil for years until recently, when he turned upon his guards and escaped. Beleg and Gwyndor share information on orc company movements, but are interrupted by a horde of orcs marching below them. The two elves take refuge in the mighty boughs of a tree, and watch the orcs march with booty, captives, and surrounded by wolves. They also see Turin, shackled and bound, marching among them. Beleg and Gwyndor follow the orcs till they make camp. Waiting until nightfall, Beleg stealthily slays four of the orcs' wolves before sneaking to Turin and cutting his bonds. Turin is drugged and out of sorts and unable to carry himself to safety. The two elves carry him out of the orc camp, but not much further up a nearby hill. There, Beleg begins cutting the last of Turin's bonds while a horrific thunderstorm blows in. Beleg's malicious blade Anglichel slips in his hands and nicks Turin's leg, waking the discombobulated man. Seeing a dark figure standing before him with sword drawn and pain in his leg, Turin assumes he's being attacked and slays his enemy before a bolt of lightning illuminates Beleg's face and Turin realizes his horrible fate. Gwyndor cowers in shame and fear as Turin cries out in torment, alerting the nearby orcs to their presence. The orcs ignore him and accept he's escaped before turning back towards Morgoth empty-handed. Gwyndor leads Turin towards the wilderness to a magical spring where Turin wept away his sadness after tasting the water's purity. 
turn unburdened, takes up Anglichel for himself at the insistence of Gwyndor. The elf encourages Turin to follow him home to Nargothrond, which is not the same as Gondolin, the hidden elf city where Hurin and his brother ventured decades before. As they approached Nargothrond, Turin and Gwyndor were captured by elves and escorted as prisoners to Nargothrond. My only note, I have two notes, but my first note is, wow, a lot happened in these seven pages. <laughs> well, before I even get to my note, I have a new note that I just came up with, which is a horde of orcs should be called horks. A hork. Um, uh, let's see here. Oh, I've got Jesus Turin needs to learn to count to ten or something. Because <laughs> he's always just flying off the handle and making shit worse. He is constantly killing people. <laughs> And on page 156, I officially gave up trying to pronounce location names and just mumbled location. Okay. Where I'm like, Turin of location, went to location, and met somebody from location, and together they ventured to location. Or place. Mm -hmm. I I was fucking, uh... You're telling me that you're having trouble differentiating between Gondolin, Nargothrond, and what's the other one? I called it Nargothrond. (laughs) Not Nargothrond. uh, Or, uh, and Doriath? Rob, no, those, those places actually didn't bug me as much. Those, those are independent elf kingdoms. <laughs> Let me go to page 156 themselves and see what was bugging me. Uh, no, it was shit like Tar New Fine. I don't even remember what that is. But courage and strength were renewed in the elf of Nargothrond, and departing from Tar New Fine, he led Turin far away. Oh, uh, is that the place where the is that the place where they found the, the magical spring? Maybe. Yeah, that sounds right. I will give you this. He Anywhere, Lair, Ku, Beleg. Oh, that's a song. Fucking, <laughs> hey, go ahead. Give me any, something. Anything, um, any location name that isn't, or or elvish name or whatever the fuck, that isn't a specific elf city I've pretty much abandoned. Yeah. Um, because, like, people's names and place names, I'm still trying. Especially when the people have eight fucking names. We'll get there, Rob. I we know, I know. There. I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Oh, God, am I jumping ahead. Because <laughs> this section definitely had me checking and double-checking. We'll get to it. We'll get I, I, um, <laughs> I noted, my only other note here is I am struggling with differentiating the elven cities, which I think part of the problem is that I'm taking, I'm spending a week between readings. Mm-hmm. So, like, doing this reading... It's all fresh in my head. Again, like, I know the difference between... What, how did you pronounce it? Nargothrond? Or, no, I, 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 left, I lean into the Nargo and then get to the Thrond. Nargothrond. Nargothrond. That's, that's probably better. Nargothrond. Oh, no, I think Nargothrond sounds more Tolkien. Mm. Nargothrond, let's then say. Uh, Nargothrond and uh, Gondolin and the other one, Doriath. I, know... I, definitely, I definitely more uh, uh, pedantically say Gondolin. Oh, okay. Um, but don't take my word for it. I, I just, okay. Um, so I, I can, I know those, the differences between those three places, sort of. Sure. But like, when it comes to like, and then this place, and he, he ventured south into this wood, and it's like, I don't care anything about that. None of that fucking matters. <laughs> show, show it mattering, Christopher. <laughs> I dare you, Chris. Yeah, make make it make it matter because otherwise it doesn't. Otherwise, it's just fucking. You are you're just removing the work a cliff note would solve. That's all I have for that. <laughs> it's on okay, my notes. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot does happen. Um, Turin kills Belek. That's the only thing I really took away from this chapter. I know you say a lot happens, and I believe you. A lot happens. 
but fucking Turin killed Belag, and I'm like, what are we doing here, dude? Well, Turin, Turin kills Belag, he meets Gwyndor, he is sad, he takes up the sword, um, and he drinks from a pool that makes him feel better. You know why this chapter offended me so? I don't. Because when you read selections from that chat GPT screenplay oh, yeah? about Turin, it made it sound like he and Belag really had adventures long and far. Right. They really were comrades in arms and did shit together. And fucking Turin wakes up and kills him. That's it. That's the end of it. I'm like, what? Yeah. So I prefer the Jet Chat Chief <laughs> or Chet, whatever AI you used. How could you say that amidst a writer strike? I, oh, too <laughs> soon. Um, so I, uh, this chapter offended me because so much happened that was not necessarily glossed over, but just like, uh, as is my want, I continue to try to find myself imagining different sequences that would make a good movie Mm -hmm. and would make a good like film. Cause the more, especially after finishing this section, I really felt like this could, you, you could probably make a, like a mini series out of this story. And do it justice and do it, like, because there's so much time that passes, you know, where, where and, and you could even not, like, fill in the gaps too much. You could just mm-hmm. be like, you know, five years later, that's the start of the next season or whatever. And then in that season, we're going to really deal with this or whatever, because there's a lot of time jumps in the book. Sure. There are, there's, it seems to be, like, plenty of lore that's happening and, and, and exciting battles and other stuff and character developments. Like, anyway, uh... I have another thought later, but I, I, cause I took a note for it, but it, it sort of establishes this here too, where there's definitely a theme that's going on through the book that is pretty consistent and well-established. And I think that that would be a really fun thing to hook a series on, but I'll get to that later. So yeah, it's just, it's, it's just a lot, a lot happens here. So that's, that's pretty much it. Um, that brings us to chapter 10. Turin in place. Nagothrond. It is Nagothrond. (laughs) That was immediately after I was sick of all the names and got pissy. See, I think the difference is you want to say Nargol and... No, I say Nargo. Yeah, but... Margo. Yeah, but you're saying it with the the hard A. You're right. And I'm saying it with the soft A. Nagothrond. Yes, Nagothrond. Nagothrond. That that feels more like Mithrandil. Um, It does. It does. That's why I say you're right. It sounds like... uh, Cringing at what's his name? Um, the Appaloosa actor, the the one from History of the Violence. What's his name? Vigo. Yeah, it sounds like when Vigo pronounces elf shit, and you're just kind of cringing because he's like clearly working so hard at it, but it still takes you out of the movie. <laughs> then I shall die as one of them. <laughs> um. Anyway, yeah, sure. Havadad Legolas. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, man. <laughs> Smoke something. Calm down. Jesus. Okay. So, chapter <laughs> 10. Saying. Chapter 10, Turin and Nagathrond. Yeah. Uh, first note. First uh, well, I've not even done my, yeah, not done my nope. summary. Nope. I've not even okay, done fine. the summary. Fine. I have fine. not. Fine. Does your note precede the summary? No. Okay, then let's do the summary, and you can sheath your enthusiasm. The elves of Nagathron welcome Turin into their city and reforge Anglicachel, which he re- renames Guthrang. Note! <laughs> Iron of Death. Turin pleads with the elves to abandon their tactics of stealthily picking off Morgoth's scouts and instead press their mighty armies against his, 
For should too few scouts return, Morgoth will learn where Nagothron sits and come looking. Gwyndor reunites with his betrothed elf maiden Findulias, but it is Turin who seeks her comfort. A love triangle forms between Gwyndor and Findulias, who loves both her betrothed and Turin, but Turin doesn't seem to understand and just likes having someone to talk to. Turin hides his name from the elves of Nagothrond, but Note! Gwyndor shares his true name with Findulius. Turin is wounded by this betrayal. The last paragraph states that Turin's mother Morwen has fled her home with her daughter in to Thingol's kingdom in Doriath. Alright, hit your notes, go for it. Jesus, why does the sword or a person for that matter need like eight names? Like, I'm having a hard enough time, man. Stop stacking names upon names. Oh, and this... Well, okay, before you leave that, my only note for this chapter is, I can handle people in these books having weird fantasy names, but I am not enjoying tracking their given names, their nicknames, and the disguise names they give themselves. This is tedious and frustrating to track. I mean, when it's a simple word repurposed as a nickname or an alias, I'm okay with that. Say... You have a Tolkienian name, but when you're hanging out in the woods, they call you, I don't know, Strider. I'm fine with that. That's fine. But this shit, come on. I, so, like, yeah, I agree. I just I just happen to agree. So this also includes an amusing anecdote whereby I was at work in my little, uh, you know, it was late at night. It was empty. I was on my own. And because I'm having some stumbling blocks with this book and its names, <laughs> I'm there reading aloud. And as I'm reading aloud, the Valar, said Turin, Ken walked in. Oh, yeah? And I was just like, hey. And he just kind of looked at me and they looked at the the, the, the the equipment that was malfunctioning and waited for it to reboot. I was sitting there with my book, looking at him, and he's looking at me, and looking at the equipment, and I'm just waiting. We make some small talk, and then he leaves, and I start again, and just as I'm out loud again, he walks in again. I'm like, fuck! So, he has an opinion of me that I can only read books out loud to myself. And it just it felt awkward, Doug. It felt real awkward. Well, I love that story. Um... <laughs> and this is also... Is, is this not the chapter where Turin starts getting all this clout in Nargothrond? I like think it's the next like, one. I thought, I thought, I'm I pretty thought sure it ended with him there. And then the next run, the next one but is, a, it, the next one starts with it's five years later. And by then I totally he, missed that. He has established a, uh, uh, yeah, it's, that's the next chapter. Sure. 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 But something about this, and I don't remember what it was. Maybe it's just his, relationship with the girl but i had the note boy this Turin is a real mariatic sue <laughs> and i was proud of myself and it hey, was good i gave you a genuine chuckle um that's a that's high praise thank you uh we know the highest he, praise is complete silence and going he, that's very funny i disagree but it, um <laughs> <know> you do <laughs> but uh i will say this that Let's let's put a pin in that idea of him being a Mary Sue also because a Mary Addox Sue because I think that is again part of the idea I come to later that is part of the theme I was talking about earlier. Sure, sure, sure. And I'm keep reiterating that so I, I'm trying to leave breadcrumbs for myself mentally so then when we get m- to it I can remember to talk about it. Then let's move on. 
before we move on, um, okay. let's not move on. One of the things I think this book does poorly is this thing about the last paragraph where something as significant as Morwen and, and her daughter moving to Thingol's kingdom and Doriath happens as like a footnote. It is just shoved in and wedged in like, yeah, and also this other shit happened. It's just important so you know that so that the next time we talk about these characters, you know that they're in Doriath. And it's right. like, well, okay, not like I need this book to be longer, but like <laughs> it just feels like showing and telling again keeps keeps cut popping up. Like, just do- like... Sorry. Like it, it's almost like someone wrote the chapter like I would write my summary. Where I, it's like, I I honestly think that is what this is. Yeah, based on a later chapter, um, I think this is clearly a whole bunch of notes, mm. and I feel like Tolkien probably kept notes in more of a story type format since he is such a story and history nerd, um, and so that's why some chapters feel a little more fleshed out and um, narrative than other chapters, which are just listing events. And since he died. This is what we're dealing with. I would actually love to watch like a documentary about how this book was written mm. in, in in terms of it, it was published because it, it, I am very interested in uh, how you cobble together something like this out of whatever they did. I, I want to know what the elements were. I want to know what they looked like because so, I want to know things like in his note taking, did Tolkien write um, dialogue? Because there's mm-hmm. occasionally dialogue in this book. Sure. And but it also it it goes from hardly any dialogue to whole passages of dialogue. Yes, 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 exactly. And I, I want to know I, I, if some some chapters feel like, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and some chapters feel like, holy shit, this is suddenly epic. Right. This is suddenly a story. Yeah. Yeah. Very curious. I would be very interested to to learn how that came to be and how this all uh, came together because it's it is interesting. It is kind of fascinating. It is what it is. Okay. I don't have any more notes on that. We can move on the next thing if you're ready all right that brings us to chapter 11 the fall of nagathrond nagathrond five years have passed since turin came to nagathrond in that time he became the leader of their armies and the council of the king eventually morgoth's armies led by the father of dragons glaurung push into nagathrond's lands gwyndor is slain bidding turin rescue findulius before she is taken by the hordes of morgoth Turin rides into the city, but is blocked by Glaurung, who freezes Turin with a magical glare. The dragon taunts Turin with extremely accurate information regarding his failures and the plight of those who love him, information Turin himself did not yet know. Before the dragon destroys Nagothrond, he captured the elvish people, including Findulius, and released Turin, encouraging him to return to Thingol and reunite with his mother and sister. So that's pretty much what happens. But um, just per, per our last note, really quick, the conversation that Galrond has with Turin feels like what you were saying, where there's like mm-hmm. things are actually written, like yeah. the, the 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 spiteful, pity, pitiful dialogue that is written for the dragon to have to Turin is pretty well written and en- enjoyable. My only note is character based, and it's I love how evil Glaurung is. Yeah. And I got that because this chapter suddenly felt like a story and I was right. falling into it. Yes. Yeah, it was great. I'm like, Jesus, this dragon is fucking mean. <laughs> yeah. And even like the, the like the visual of, of Turin running towards him with the sword above his head and about to mm-hmm. slash him and then frozen in a in a Gorgon's gaze. Mm-hmm. Like like I honestly thought he was straight up turned to stone and then I realized I think he was just frozen. Right, because like, they kept saying like like stone. 
Right. And being that it is so much like what a Gorgon would do, I really felt like, is that what I'm reading? Am I sure. just mixing up past information with this? Am I putting too much into it? And then he he unfreezes him and he falls down and he can he can move again. But I didn't get my note yet. But yeah, I agree that 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 section with the dragon was interesting. It felt like it felt like a proto smog in that way mm-hmm. that like obviously canonically it is a proto smog. He's the father of dragons, etc. Which I assumed was literal, not so much like. Just a nice name. Right. I felt more menace from this dragon than I do from Smaug. I think that the the I am fire, I am death speech is pretty menacing. Oh, oh, it's incredibly menacing, but Smaug would mostly have been, you know, left alone if they didn't fuck with his house. Right. Whether or not he had earned, you know, that treasure and the hoard and whatnot, they fucking poked at that viper. Yeah. Where whereas Glowering's out looking to be evil. Yeah. And he's so also that... also at the at the behest of Morgoth. Right. Which uh, Smaug was doing his own shit as far as we said, right. as far as I know, he was just being a dragon who liked treasure and hoarding and chilling. Right. He Galrung Galrung is uh Glaurung. Glaurung. I'm sorry. It's a, it's a dumb word. Glaurung is um <laughs> It is different and is is pretty scary. And also the way he like, like he. Again, this was definitely a sequence where, that I was visualizing as a film. Like I was mm-hmm. visualizing the locations and the like, the moments and like the 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 even the moments where like, you know, he freezes him and then and then like he tells him all these horrible things. I immediately went into like, okay, this isn't just looking at a dragon talking to a guy on 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 a bridge this is we've we've this is going to be a thing where we we go to like smoky vision of like a dream where you see all these horrible things that uh turin would be envisioning that uh glaurung is putting into his mind of his sister and her his mother and all these other failures of his and where his father sits and all this other stuff like turin gets to see all of that and suffer that and then it you know it'll come out when uh when he unfreezes him or, or before that. And then, and then there's that also heartbreaking moment where he, they march the prisoner elves out of Nagathrond and including, uh, what's her name? The one with the dumb name, uh, Findulius. Fin, oh, right. Okay. I, I say it's a dumb name. Cause when I read it the first time I said, I'm going to pronounce this like orange Julius. Um, <laughs> and my so, girlfriend creamsicle. That's how I wrote it. <laughs> That, but that moment where she comes out and you knowing that she loves him and that he's like frozen with his sword above his head and she's like reaching out slow motion like grasping and, and like just misses him and then is pulled away like like Magneto in in the fucking concentration camp. Right. That's what I was envisioning was that kind of shape and and shot. Anyway, and then and then like when when he finally lets Turin go and then and, and then Glaurung has his like triumphant like all right now I get to destroy everything and he just burns the city and like pushes i just imagine this dragon sitting in the middle of a river just pushing over this mighty bridge and and just collapsing it and just the the intensity of those shots was just really interesting to me visually mm-hmm. anyway i i really like this sequence because again it was those things that's fun to those are things are fun to follow not all of it is do you have any more notes nope this is the note where it finally comes back to the breadcrumbs i've been leading up to Here's my note. Okay. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to add all the context. Per Morgoth's curse, 
Is it not so that whenever Turin finds himself the aid to someone, does not that person become the victim of tragedy? Beleg dies by his hand. Nagathron falls precisely because of Turin's counsel to build a bridge strong and that made it easy for the orcs to invade. He slew a bandit leader and then led all the bandits to their doom. This curse of Morgoth turns out to be far worse than simple depression. Mm. And I think that that thing of like, you get the, the, the real curse of Turin is that he finds himself in these, he, he's persistently finding himself in places of success Mm-hmm. wherein he does his best he does sucks. absolutely his best and it 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 causes horrible tragedy for almost everyone who's still who's around him and that is so sad and and like visible like you can it, it's easy to see like it doesn't like at this point it became easy for me to see i was like oh i'm seeing all of these examples where all every time he helps someone it ends up destroying them almost as if he should just stop doing anything this one specifically really like solidified that because i could see the pattern of all and i thought that would be the fun thing in a tv show where like every time every season even maybe you build up his like success like you start with the thing that he's defeating he get he does pretty well he encounters uh hardships and then he gets to a high and then suddenly every season ends with a red wedding like every season is is Funny you should the, mention Game of Thrones. The the death of Beleg, you know, mm-hmm. or or like the 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 bandits being uh, slaughtered by um all of the uh the the orcs and the 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 what is it petty dwarf? I forget his name because he he popped in and then left. M- Mim Mimor Mim Mim. I think it was Mim Mim, Mim. the petty yeah, dwarf, okay. absconding into the wilderness, right? Spitefully. Or, or even like this, like the end, the, the fall of Nagothrond being another one where he just has to sit there. And every time you just like you is the audience, you get to learn like, oh, God, this guy is cursed. Everything he does will like he really is cursed. The curse that Morgoth sets upon Hurin and his descendants is like this is how it plays out. And that's so fucking sad. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that would be rad as a as a way to like, like I said, as the theme of this story. To, to continue having these same sort of like waveforms pop up and down. I just really like that idea. Like I, it's sad and I'm not really like, I don't want him to but keep it failing, compelling. but yeah, exactly. It is, it is that thing where you realize like, it also helps justify things like him being like, fuck everything. I'm going to go live as a woodman. I'm changing my name again. Like he, where <laughs> fair it's, enough. It's like, I want nothing to do with everything I've ever, ever done already. Everyone He's around got, me dies all the time. I hate living. I'm just going to be got a full woodman. David Banner syndrome. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's he's just hitchhiking. Yep. That's my notes on that chapter. Do you have any more? It goes good. Okay. Notes. Nope. <laughs> All right. So jumping into chapter twelve, the return of Turin to Dor Loman. Turin returns to Dor Loman, the kingdom of his birth, in search of his mother and sister. He finds their house ransacked and plundered, but he also finds Sandor, his lame friend, who leads him to the halls of the usurper Broda where Turin reveals his true identity, interrogates his aunt, and slaughters what Easterlings he can before retreating with a few of his newly liberated people. They venture south, with Turin headed to Doriath, where his mother and sister take shelter. And actually, this is where I finally add that note of, I wonder if the theme of this book is tragedy follows impulsive rash behavior. (laughs) My only note is more hot-headed antics from Turin. 
Yeah, he really is just, like, a vengeful, like... Again, to be fair, his life is nothing but tragedy. True. But someone should at least sometimes counsel, take a breath, man. Take a step back. Don't do the first thing you think of. Maybe maybe they would if he wouldn't kill them before they can. (laughs) That's a good point. But Jesus... Remember that one guy who he said, who said, hey, Turin, you're being rude and unkempt. And you know what Turin did? He, he stripped the man and cha- or the elf and chased him naked through a city until the guy was gnashed on the rocks below a cliff in a river. And then yeah. Turin was like, fuck it. I can't be responsible. I'm leaving. <laughs> and 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 uh, Balung, whatever the guy's name is. I forget that character. He comes in uh, later. Uh, but uh, Mag- uh, Malung, Maglung. Ma- Mablung? Mablung, yeah, Mablung. No, we'll come back to Mablung soon. Yeah, Mablung is like, but this is back then where Mablung was like, right. dude, just stay. Just stay and, and Thingle will be cool with you and everything will be fine. And Turin's like, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> Turin was like, fuck it. That's very I, true. I don't want to be near anyone who could advise me well. I'm <laughs> going to go and fuck up multiple kingdoms <laughs> instead of just learning from my mistakes yep it's interesting that turin's a hero of any kind because he he is like his his legend should really be cautionary well i mean hero did used to mean something else did it what did it used to mean new word alert i'm specifically looking up hero old definition the word hero comes from the greek uh, heroes, hero, literally protective, protective. Uh, blah, 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 blah. If you tell me it means sandwich, I'm gonna be pissed. <laughs> um, God damn it! I have to go into something even the way that like romantic used to mean something else. I thought I thought there was a different. Fuck, you know what? I don't know what I'm talking about. Well, that's I'm your not learned it enough. That's your homework, but uh, right, I, I the only thing I found I feel like is, it, was, it was more protagonist and and not necessarily, you know, it the the person of good and true standing. Well, this uh the Greek word old definition I found basically says it means protector or defender. So I'm not sure if that's an, different enough. Oh wait, here's the thing: two pieces of bread and filling. Oh, that's very interesting. That's. Uh, I believe in the Greek they pronounce that a gyro. Gyro, of course. So, um, and it often involves lamb and tzatziki. So, I believe it's tzatziki. Is it? I don't know. Or is that like your? I, I need to that, stop defining shit because clearly I don't know what I'm talking. Is that about. your? Is that your Tolki, uh, Tolkien uh, pronunciation? <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I want one of those. Anyway, um, <laughs> where are we? What chapter are we on? Uh, uh, Thirteen. Still twelve. Oh, we're oh, going to 12 now? I'm, I'm done with 12. Do you need more Fair 12? No, moving on, moving on. All right, chapter 13. The coming of Turin into Brethil. Turin sought Findulius among the woods people, but found only her death. Like so many he encounters, Findulius uh, died while tied to a tree, begging the people of the woods to let Turin know this was her final resting place. But she didn't ask for Turin to be let know, did she? I thought she did. No. Also, I, I mean, I had more summary, but... It's okay. She asked more McGill to be told, or for more McGill to be told. Right, more McGill, but more McGill is one of Turin's dumbass names. No, I know. I just wanted to point that out. I wanted okay. to bring that up. Okay. Yes, she asked for more McGill, who is Turin, to because be. <laughs> I really, 
in the last chapter we read today, I want us to be very particular about names. I, if you, if you let me do my job, I will I, be amazing. I want to make sure because you got you fucking fumbled Mormigil. I Mormigil was so insignificant, but <laughs> but believe me, believe me, I have a rule of three that will that will be so good. <laughs> okay. Turin sought Findulius among the woods people, but found only her death. Like so many he encounters, Findulius died while tied to a tree, begging the people of the woods to let Mormagil know <laughs> this was her final resting place. Turin, a.k.a. Mormagil, wept for a winter along the woods people and took yet another new name. In his time with the woods people, he put down his black sword and took up slaying orcs with a bow and spear. So many orcs did he slay that the survivors would avoid the hill of the elf maiden where Findulius died for fear of their own deaths. And that's what happens in that chapter. I don't have Do any more to notes. say what his woods people name is? You probably should, but we'll get to it later also. For the, you should say it now so we could... When it, yes. Turumbar. Turumbar. Yes. Okay. Turumbar. Um, Mormagil, Turumbar, Turin, however many My only note for this is. chapter was downer. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, sort of, but he didn't give a shit about this woman. So what? I mean, he he. I I, I apparently gave more of a shit because I was just like, oh, Fendulius. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You kind of like, oh, I thought maybe she they would make elf human hybrid babies, and that would I be fun. We'd go get a Auntie Anne's pretzel. <laughs> All right, because because orange Julius. Oh, you don't need to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Not like this. Not like this. <laughs> All right, that brings us to chapter 14. The journey of Morwen and Ninor to Nargothrond. Way to go. I I had to like, like what are all these names I have to get out? Oh, this is a long one. I wrote a lot for this. Okay, okay, okay. A sorrowful Mor... Mm-mm. Sorry. A sorrowful... I, I, I thought... <laughs> I thought maybe it would give you hope to know that I had two interesting notes. Great. Let's we'll get to them after the summary. As is our format. <laughs> I was I, I know we're gonna get to them after the summary. I wanted to give you You were apparently so excited for your notes that you no, can't I wanted, but let me know you have them. I wanted I wanna spark joy. <laughs> Success. <laughs> Go okay. Begin. A sorrowful Mormon strikes out in search of her son against the advice of Thingle. The Elf King sends a force of his Elf Guards after her to keep watch over her and save her should doom befall her. I said her a lot there, it's just what happens. They catch up to the derelict queen and help her cross a body of water east as they forge their way to Nagothrond. Here they discover Neonor, disguised as one of the Elf Guards, has secreted herself along for the ride. With no choice but to continue their search, Mablung, the Elf, leads his party towards the ruined city ordering the queen and her daughter to stay behind while he and his scouts search the desolate Nagothrond, Mablung discovers the dragon Glaurung resting in the stream near the destroyed bridge Turin constructed. The dragon burned many of the elves and let out in a rancid, foggy vapor that caused many to keel over in pain and disgust. Morwen rode off screaming for her daughter into the fog while Nanor was thrown safely from her steed. Wandering towards fresher air, Nienor found herself atop the hill Mablung bade her and her mother await his return, only to find Glaurung there staring into her eyes. 
They speak, and she reveals herself to him as Turin's sister, which is welcome news to the dragon's malice. His gaze sets in her an immobilizing gloom. Having survived Glaurung's flames, Mablong searches for Turin in the Nagothrond ruins. Finding only emptiness and sorrow, Mablong makes his leave of the dead elf halls, but for the return of Glaurung in his den outside the city entrance. Glaurung taunts Mablong, encouraging him to ride atop the hill and see what's become of his charge. There he found Nienor frozen and unresponsive to sight and sound. But by only touch would she respond, and by that way did Mablong lead her north with a small remnant of his elf band. Their journey was uh, fraught with more tragedy as a band of orcs ambushed them, sending Nienor running with fear into the woods. After defeating the orcs, Mablong searched for the princess for three days, but did not find her. He returned to Thingol and Doriath. Without those, he was commanded to protect. The great king forgave him, but shortly after, Mablong took another troop out and searched for the lost humans for three years without luck. Alright, so that's what happens in that chapter. <laughs> First note, for me, is this chapter suddenly badass? <laughs> Glaurung versus Mablang is captivating. I loved that shit. I was like, I'm suddenly into a story here. Yeah. I, 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 was, I was rolling my eyes and mouthing, you know, re reading while my lips were moving, and suddenly I was like, whoa, this is great. Blew yeah. me away. Yeah. I, um, I can't agree more. I mean, I think that, again, all the stuff with uh, Glaurung is awesome. Like, mm -hmm. he's a dumb name, but, like, his... The, the way he's written and the way he behaves is so, you know what it is? It's, it's this thing. Okay. I, I saw a long time ago, like a month or so ago, I saw something where someone mentioned that a lot of artists will, will use in their depictions of dragons inspiration from the way cats shape. Okay. So the way cats uh, pose and move and stuff is a lot of the way that people will, will draw dragons and their mm -hmm. muscles and their, and their poses. And I thought about how much like a cat Glaurung is because he's really playing with his food. Mm -hmm. Like he, he's, he's treating all of these creatures, these elves and the humans that he's encountering as kind of like mice that he's caught and he's just batting them around and fucking with them while, and, and sometimes letting them go because he is so much, higher above them on the food chain mm -hmm. and, and on the brain chain if you will oh yeah chain. absolutely so he knows he can cause more mischief by just maybe telling them something and sending them off and i think that being in the perspective of the mouse is really terrifying and because you can see that gleefulness in the way he re he explains himself or the way he speaks to these things that are so beneath him Mm -hmm. That being said, I think there's also a, a, another side of this where I think that sometimes his charge from Morgoth isn't to just kill everyone, but it is actually to so discontent. Just, yeah, it, it's it's actually to make them go back. To, like that's why he wanted Turin to go back to Doriath because he wanted him to go back despaired and therefore like bring down the armies of Doriath with sadness before the onslaught. Mm -hmm. It's that idea of like if you break somebody's spirit in battle first, it's easier to win. Sure. And I think I think that's like a subtext here of what Morgoth's goal is, and and it's it's hinted to a couple times where, I think in this chapter where Glaurung sort of laughs at himself because he knows his he did his job that Morgoth set him out to do, but it's not really like quite clear what that job is. But I think it's this. So, but anyway, all of that together just makes for again like 
it feels like an actual good story where you can you feel like like imagining yourself as Mablong hiding in the ruins of this city, like peeking out and like hiding while while trying to stay safe, but but then being alerted to oh the dragon knows you're here, he knows exactly where you are, he's very it's aware watching of all this you stuff. looking for yeah, it, right? It's, yeah. And, wow. and, and, and that, that terrifying feeling of like, suddenly you are just, you have no advantage. You have no hope only by, it's not even like, I would, I would normally say by his like, not pity, but like it's everything you do is with, with the, with Glaurung's like permission. It's like he, he, he is really in charge of all of these situations. Sure. And that, is terrifying and and I guess you just have to take it where you can get it. Yeah, I, the only other thing I will note is I I did actually have a really hard time like sort of visualizing how the vapor expelled from the dragon because I really I wanted it to not be a fart or a burp because I felt like that would be really crass. But like I was having a hard time visualizing, like, I guess if you just say, instead of fire, the dragon breathes smoke. Yeah, I think, I think that makes sense. Or even something from its gullet, but not like a, a wacky belch, but still yeah. some kind of, I'm going to breathe from my, the poison area of my stomach. Right, yeah. That makes sense to me. And then that can be, that can be done without being gross, because he's gonna, still going to rear back and project it like he would fire. Right. Yeah, if so... I, I did have a, a bit of a hiccup there being like, okay, am I supposed to laugh at this? Or is it like, it's not being written as if it's a funny. I did. Yeah. Like, I never got that. But, but I'm just trying to imagine like, this sounds like he's describing a fantasy burp and that sounds <laughs> dumb, but like seeing how it affects Morwen and how it affects everyone else, the, the, the vomit. I don't know if anybody vomited, but it was very much like just, I just imagine like the worst smelling horrible shit you could imagine that drives you. It's so disgusting. It drives you insane. I, I thought that was kind of cool. A new a new trick for dragons, I guess. So far, everything that dragon touches turns to gold. <laughs> um, so here's an interesting note I had. Good. That I feel like I haven't had this kind of note in a while where I observed something and it made, it made me, you know, have a chain of events thought process. They mentioned a dragon's eyes are more keen than elves even. Yes. And if a dragon's eyes are more keen than elves then it makes sense to me that they're so bothered by invisible thieves. Oh, that's a very clever note. Because, yeah, if a dragon is so powerful and so mentally superior and just fucking on the ball for everything, when they're suddenly being, you know, besought by someone they can't see at all, they're going to be... Their dangers are going to get up. Yeah. It's the first time... It might be the first time dragons feel like they might be prey. Yes. Like they're not in control. They yeah. can't see. They They fuck everything. In that way, mm-hmm. Smaug was Mablung in Nagathrond. Shaka when the walls oh. fell. <laughs> You're Tolkiening. You're Tolkiening. <laughs> He's got you. <laughs> He's got you in his dragon stare. Not how I saw that chapter going. <laughs> that's it. That's it for me. Well, so, look, sometimes you you find yourself in a situation where you can reference something that everybody references all the time, but not in a funny way. Right. And then you find like, oh, maybe this is exactly the moment. 
This is exactly the moment for that reference. The sad part is I can't I, I can't remember the first part of that saying saying. Temba his arms wide? Yeah, I don't know. I anyway. think I've only seen the episode once and it was only after everyone quoted it. Like I only saw it for the first time three or four years ago and I was like, Oh okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, but yeah, that that <laughs> watch Star Trek, people. If you haven't, just watch Star Trek. It's great. So, uh, That's the Tolkien takeaway: watch Star Trek. Yeah, the Tolkien takeaway is just go watch Star Trek. Watch Next Gen. Okay. So, are you done with that chapter? We can move yep. on. Okay. Yep. So, bringing us to, I believe, the last chapter, chapter fifteen, Ninor and Brethil, which for me really begins last night. When I received a text message as I was drifting off to sleep <laughs> from Rob that just said, what? Or uh, it said, a note for the last chapter. What? Um, and I said, well, I haven't read this yet, so I don't know what this means. And he goes, okay, that'll be a good primer for it. And <laughs> herein is the chapter that was prefaced by... What? <laughs> okay, and it's just in my defense, I pr- I I pronounce it. My Tolkienian pronunciation pronunciation is what, <laughs> which sounds much more surfer than anything else. <laughs> it's closer to how I intended it. Just go ahead. Okay, here we go. Um, if you wouldn't mind, uninterrupted, because this is long. <laughs> A terrified and thoughtless Nanor runs from the dragon into the woods, discarding her clothes as she flees. Naked and afraid, she wanders the woods cold and hungry until she finds herself sleeping on Findulius's burial mound. Like you do. Uninterrupted. There, the men of Brethil, le- led by Turumbar, parentheses, who it is very important we remember is the name Turin took for himself among the men of Brethil, end parentheses, find her drenched and naked. They clothe her, and bring her to their village, for she speaks not a word or answers any questions. There she is nursed back to health and taught how to speak again. They rename her Nainil, and she finds herself in a pseudo-love triangle between a lame man named Brandir, who had walked her through the gardens naming all the plants and creatures of the world for her so she might learn to speak again, and Turumbar, who it is very important to remember, is the name Turin took for himself among the men of Brithil. After some time, Turumbar asks Nianiel for her hand in marriage. Brandir warns Nianiel against marrying Turumbar, explaining that he is a war-hungry commander from Nagothrond, who it is said is also the son of Hurin from the north. Nianiel who it is very important to remember is the name Nienor was given by Turin, her long-lost brother, when she arrived among the men of Brithil. She stays her wedding, but for a season before Turumbard gives her an ultimatum. They will wed or he will go to war. Such were the circumstances wherein Turin married his little sister Nienor. What? <laughs> um... A couple things. I'm sure we're going to have a couple things. I don't... Who is the third guy in the triangle? The third guy in the triangle is, I think, Brandir. Brandir. I I don't remember, or I didn't catch, maybe just because I was having this dawning sense of, what? 
Um, I don't remember him saying that. Turin is is Hurin's son. Turumbar is Hurin's son. Yeah. Uh, I can find that for you very quickly. No, no, no. I believe you. But but no, just... I'm going to read it. Here it is. Okay. Okay. I've already found it. Okay. Truth indeed, said Brandir, but. He was ill-pleased, for Doras was chief of the party that wished for war on the orcs, and yet he sought still for reasons to delay Nienil. And he said, therefore, the truth, but not the whole truth. For he was a captain of Nagathrond, and came before out of the north, and was, parentheses, it is said, end parentheses, son of Hurin, of Dorlamin, of the warlike house of Hador. And Brandir, seeing the shadow that passed over her face at that name, misread her, and said more. Indeed, Nienil, well may you think that such a one is likely ere long to go back to war far from this land may be. And if so, how long will you endure it? Have a care. For I forebode that if Torumbar goes again to battle, then not but he not he but the shadow shall have the mastery. So we can't even say that Ninyel or Ninor, however you want to call her, is amnesiatic. She no, we can. Oh, we can? We can. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because she lost all consciousness and compa- understanding for everything. She does not know. I do not believe she knows at this moment. So she just has like a, a faint association of, uh, but I don't know what it is when she heard. Her yes. And... That, that shadow pass over her face is not clear as to what that okay, okay, actually okay, okay. signifies. Okay. Sure. Okay. Huh. So, yeah. I'm reading this chapter, <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 what? And Speaking I'm going, of Game of Thrones. Speaking of Game of Thrones. And I'm going back and forth, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm flipping through to the index. I'm like, Niniel, definitely Ninor. And Turumbar, definitely Turin. And I go back to the book. <laughs> and I flip back to the end again, and there's like a, there's a, there's, what do you call it? Um... A family tree. Yeah. And I'm like, more women. Don't, whoa, 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 whoa. Does this, does this, I, is this spoiling something? No, no. Okay. No, 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 no. But Morwen and Herwin have Turin and Ninor. It's definitely their kids. And I'm flipping back. Turinbel and Niniel. And I'm flipping to the end again. And like, Ninor is Ninor. And Turinbel is Turin. Uh, what the fuck? What the fuck, Tolkien? <laughs> I, I just, I just, I was, what? I was very worried because I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the the family tree now. I yeah. was very worried that the branches from which Morwen and Hurin uh, created would rebind, and, and I, I was you know what I was wor- I was willing to risk that spoiler. <laughs> um, I'm like surely not because I was also kind of interested in what that would look like in a family tree, but it does not seem to have happened. Um, unless there's another family tree <laughs> that illustrates that, but also what the fuck. So far, because this isn't the first time we've had this conversation, but so far, this is the most Lord of the Rings Tolkien story, as far as I understand it. Lord of this, the Rings? Sorry, this is the most Game of Thrones Lord of the Rings story. There it is. I, I would argue it. that the most Lord of the Rings to- Tolkien story is Lord of the Rings. Sure. But the most Game of Thrones uh, Lord of the Rings story is the Children of Hurin. Yeah. In that we talked about earlier, there's that there's the rape earlier, which is the first time we have rape in this story. There's illusions to suicide. There's, um, I, I, I look, I'm going to like, they're not going to spell it out, but I feel like there's incest here. You feel like that? No, there's incest here. They're married for at least a couple of months by the time that chapter ends. Are they? I feel like it. Hold I, on. I, 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 here's the last paragraph. Cause this is what you're talking about. 
Then she was glad indeed, and she plighted her troth, which means betrothed. That's where that word comes from, her, her, her commitment to be married, her troth. That's a new word alert, by the way. I, 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 that word will come up later, but we're reading it now, so I'm just going to say that's what it was. At the And at the midsummer they were wedded, and mm-hmm. the woodsmen made a great feast, and they gave them a fair house, which they had built for them upon Amen Abel. There they dwelt in happiness, but Brandir was troubled, and the shadow of his heart grew deeper. There they dwelt in happiness for me suggests uh, at least a couple of months of happiness and a lot of wedding nights. Okay. Um, yeah. Let's, we'll find out, I guess. So let's just say, I'm going to stick with implied incest, and <laughs> Rob, Rob is very much uh, on the direct incest line. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I'm like Stated is, yeah. and underlined and reinforced incest. I I was shocked. I was he Tolkien shocked me. <laughs> um. So yeah, it, it these things keep happening and and not it's not it's not as pervasive as Game of Thrones, but it does have that like feeling so far. Like oh, this is much like darker than I imagine. Well, that makes me wonder: is there like some classic literature that both Tolkien and Martin, um, both double R's, by the way are drawing from where they're referencing some like Beowulf thing where somebody marries their sister. I don't know, but I, I think that that must be something. Cause I was thinking the same thing about star Wars and I was, cause I was thinking about how that happens there too, where mm. the, the long lost brother and sister find each other and are a little bit romantic. And then it's revealed. Oh, by the way, BT fair Dubs enough, but I'm still kind sibling. of suspicious that the sibling idea existed before empire. Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm saying it is too, but I'm saying as in the world of those characters, sure. they they d- were long lost, did not know, and f- sort of had a feelings, and then were revealed to be siblings. But, but my point is, again, I think this might be, a f- it either is a reference to, like you said, like some sort of like classic story that we just aren't seeing, or it's just a, cl- a reference to how, I don't know, maybe maybe how like kings and queens just did tend to inbreed. That doesn't, f- you know, it's Arthur, isn't it? I don't know. Because Arthur totally got with his half-sister, and that's where uh, Morgan comes from. Morgana? No, uh, Le Fay. Yeah, no, who's the, the kid who's destined to kill Arthur, the guy? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, shit. Because Morgan is Morgan Le Fay, his sister, and I'm trying to think of. There's a really good... Uh, I think it's Batman Brave and the Bold. Mordred. Episode. Mordred, yes, Mordred, yes. So that's that easily, if not what they're specifically referencing, then there's clearly a classic story trope of this. Yeah. I banged my sister and I shouldn't have because things went to shit. Yeah. Way to go, Arthur. <laughs> hey, way to go, Rob, remembering all the classic incest. Hey. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, on a on a lighter note, my only note, keeping in mind that I had lots of to say, my only official note, uh, it brings us to page 216 in my book, which... It's the one that starts Nino Made of Tears? Yep. It's funny how our pages match up, even though you've got a paperback. Look at me with a real book I can flip through. It's been years. Wow. Where is this moment? Long she lay in her sickness? No, it's... Maybe it's the before that. Oh, here it is. Yes, yes. Okay, here we go. There was a wide green sward, S-W-A-R-D, yep. at the head of the falls, and birches grew about it. 
but over the bridge there was a wide view towards the ravines of Telingen, or Tiglin, some two miles to the west. There the air was ever cool, and there wayfarers in summer would rest and drink of the cool water. Dimrost, the rainy stair, those falls were called. But after that day, Ningirith, the shuddering waterfall, for Torumbar and his men halted there. But as soon as Nienil came to that place, she grew cold and shivered, and they could not warn her or warm her or comfort her. Therefore, they hastened on their way, but before they came to Ephil Brandianil, was wandering in a fever. And I just was so angry <laughs> at the idea that how often these fucks <laughs> go around renaming shit because someone there near does something inconsequential near a thing. Then they're like, oh, you're shivering because the water's cold and you're naked and crazy and alone in the woods. Now that waterfall because of you is we're going to name it the shivering bitch waterfall. That's what it's called now. <laughs> That's the name of the waterfall. Now everyone will know that now it had a name before, but we don't give a shit about that. All the history that went along with whatever that name was is gone. Now on the maps from here forth, henceforth forevermore, it should be called the shivering bitch falls. And that's because of you. And you should know that. And, and that it's just so much like how, so often in this book, we don't talk about it in the show very much, but there are things like they're like Tolkien will, or they will write like, and then this person was named this, this is their name, but other people call them this name because it means the light that shimmers off of a pool at dawn. And that's the word in Elvish. And so that's because they love this person and that's what they're calling them. And it's like, but they, but we won't actually refer to them as that again, but that's what they're called. It's just so obnoxious. It's just so annoying. To, like we talked about before, in, in a book where we're already working really hard to keep track of everything in this fantasy world and these fantasy languages for them to constantly be changing names and adding new names and all that shit is so tedious. And, and it really, like, piqued me here in this one. I understand it, and I am too struck by the tedium of it, but I also can acknowledge that there's that old fashioned idea that names have power and back in the day collecting names was kind of like you know it was your story how many names mm -hmm. you had there was a story behind every one and the more names you had the more storied you were and the more adventures and i i understand it but i also don't like it see i've never heard that about people having more than one name i've heard that about like in in these stories specifically you know the next book i think especially they talk about how great swords have great names mm -hmm. and how that's important and Tolkien underlines that over and over, you know, even I don't remember the Elvish name, but, or the goblin name, but, uh, you know, Gandalf's sword has a name. Um, it's, they, they call it faux hammer, but also something else. And I forget mm. what the else word is. A lot of those swords. It's not have, Glamdring. It is Glamdring. You're right. Nice. Or, or Glam, Glam, I think it's Glamdring. Yeah. That one, it also is called faux hammer. Right. Um, and it's like, okay, fine. Jung. I'm not sure. It, it might, I think it, either way, we know what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, and then, but in here, it's like with, with, you know, uh, the iron death or whatever that fucking sword became. And it's also called, it was, it was formerly called something else. I've already forgotten because they don't matter, you know, like, right. I think I took a note on it though. So I'm going to go find it. Oh yeah. Not... Anglichel, yeah, which was, was Anglichel. renamed okay. Guthrang, Iron of Death. So yeah, that's uh, it keeps I, happening. I, yeah, it's 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 just an old fashioned way of telling a story, 
that we have evolved away from. Not really. Like there's this thing that happens in the real world, especially recently in this country where there are places in the United States that have been given names because new people discovered them a hundred or more years ago, 200 years ago, and they would name them things. And now that we're, our expansion has sort of ceased on this continent to, to a very real degree. We've discovered all the areas, but there are a lot of places in this country specifically that have archaically racist names. Mm. We, uh, the, the people who those names reflect upon are now becoming uh, bothered by it mm-hmm. and are requesting, or, or even if sometimes they're requesting, sometimes they're being pushed against to rename them, these places, something uh, better. Or, or less offensive. Just recently, I remember hearing, like last week, it was a story about a uh, a Native American area where there was like a some sort of physical, natural thing, like a place that had a name that was representative of like a uh, either a person that was bad or or like had a had a pretty negative history or a slur attached to it. And it was renamed in honor of another person who people have less negative connotations with. And that stuff happens a lot now. I don't see that as the same though. Oh, okay. That's, that's, that's like a, a a baptism of a place. That's for going my dark past to become better in Tolkien. It's I'm adding, I'm amassing names. Oh, okay. Cause they're yeah. representative of my adventures. It's not the same in, in, in my opinion. So, so, that's I'm not I'm leaving that bad guy behind and becoming someone new. Personally. I am going to I'm going to put you in a corner here. Okay. Not not because I disagree with you because I Just, I don't. I, I agree with you. But that's because... when animals are the most dangerous. <laughs> Nobody puts Robbie in a corner. But but I how, how which okay, which one do you think? Either mm. the amassing more than one name or the baptism of pushing back on or, 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 or forging a new better path. Sure. Which do you think is what happened to the tallest mountain in North America? The pushing back. The, the baptism. Yeah. Isn't, isn't because the only reason I ask is because well, that, that no, name no, has, not the baptism. The put, that's reverting. Oh, very interesting. Cause that, that mountain was already right. that before it was McKinley. You're right. right. You're right. It's Woo-hoo. a third option. The third option is just saying, hey, you're kind of whitewashing our shit. Fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Great answer. Great answer. Thank this you. is like price. This is like a family feud. Applaud <laughs> you. That's uh scratch, scratch. Wait, there's another name under here. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So we found three different ways this thing can be applied. That's that mountain way up in Alaska, right? Yep. Yep. Way far away from anyone. <laughs> well. I mean, I, from what I hear tell, Alaska's so big, we could be in Alaska, and that mountain would still be so far away from us. But on a clear day, like the, lonely, elvish sight? like the Lonely Mountain, like the Misty Mountain, we could see from where we were, perhaps, yeah. hmm. the giant in the distance. Yeah. The Great One. Or is it the Tall One? I can never... Some people say it differently. It's 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 Gretzky. It's the great yeah, one. it's a great one, right? Cool. Um, do you have any more notes in that chapter? No. All right. Well, then let's jump into the official new word alert. 
don't have that many, unfortunately, for you. I only have one, and you probably have it also. I probably do, so let's start with this one. Beer. Beer? Beer. I swear I'll spell we it did for this you. last time, and I always right. think of it like a grave. We didn't do it last time, but that is correct. It's it B- is a grave. B-I-E-R is a stand on which a corpse or coffin is placed. It's not It's not beer? Beer. Huh, okay. Well. Uh, it also says archaic, a framework for carrying or a coffin with its stand. I think that's the specific difference is it's a coffin, but also it's a thing that a coffin holds. Sure, sure, sure. Or sure, a thing that the... holds a coffin. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I know I've heard it before, maybe in Tolkien, maybe I... in poetry, like 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 Poe would use that word. I did look up churl again, but we had done that one before, and mm. I was reminded of what it was. I was like, cool, I'm, I feel like I'm, this is how it's supposed to work, this repetition yep. and reinforcement. All right, next one. Troth. Troth or troth. Right. Something that gets pledged, I don't really know what it means. I've heard, I pledge my troth. Yeah, we, we talked about it earlier. It's kind of like betrothed. Um, uh, but people loyal. also use it in other words, like when they're like pledging service to a king, not just about yes. romance. Yes. Okay. Loyal or pledged faithfulness. Okay. Wo- or one's pledged word. Like, it is my bond. It is my oath. My truth. Okay. Askance. Hmm. I always see it written as looking at something askance, and I just assume it's like eyeballing you out of the corner of my eye. That's exactly what I thought. It is not that. Oh. I I looked. I saw it as like a skew, like like to to, yeah, like like you said, to toss to the side. Well, actually, you know what, Rob? I'm sorry. That's the secondary definition with a side glance. Okay. That, the first definition is with disapproval or dis- distrust, scornfully. But the second definition, sure as hell, is a side glance. So way to go. Nice. All right, and the last one for me. Faye. Ah, Faye. Uh, usually having to do with uh, elvishness, right? The Faye, the fair creatures, the fair folk, the uh, the leprechauns and the elves, the fairies. That is how I've always heard it used, and it is not how it is used in this book. But what's this now? It is used. Here we go. Definition A: Chiefly of Scotland, fated to die, doomed. Marked by a foreboding of death or calamity. Huh. It is also apparently used to be referred to as a, or a visionary, able to see into the future. Marked by an otherworldly air or attitude. Also excessively refined, precious, quaintly unconventional. So there's a whole lot in there. None there of is. them are the fairy word that I also know or the slur that is also related to like stems from that. Mm-hmm. But like the, the, I kept a, this word Fay popped up at least twice in this section. And I had to go look it up. Cause I was like, I fe- keep, I keep submitting that it is fairy stuff. And I don't think it is just based on how it's being used. The context sure enough, is, yeah. Sure enough. It was about this, this overwhelming theme of doom being like judgment and gloom and, and, and calamity mm-hmm. up among all these people. But but like sort of an interesting an interesting read in terms of like seeing the like especially words like doom and fay like those two words mean to me very different things than they are used in this book and I'm grateful to have been exposed to that difference. All right. Did you did I get your word? I haven't given you my word yet. Oh my god. So my word is just a simple adverb, but it was used at least twice in this reading, and it's one of those that I always just gloss over and 
I get the context of the sentence and don't really didn't really understand the word, so I had to look it up. And here is that word. Perforce. I'm sorry. Could you do that again? Perforce. Can you spell it? Perforce. P e r f o r c e. I guess I would imagine like, like it kind of means like before. Uh, I can see that, but no. By force of circumstance or of necessity. Oh. The images are perforce in black and white because there's no color at X-ray wavelength, for example. Or, with no new novel in the offing, Harry addicts will perforce focus on their anticipation during the coming year on the film version of the first book, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Wow. Or, there's an obsolete definition, by physical coercion. He rushed into my house and took perforce my ring away. Okay. William Shakespeare. So, like, by force. Uh, Yeah. That's what that de- archaic definition would mean. Okay. Or, or forced to be, but yeah, yeah. Wow, I don't remember reading that, but that's great. That's it. That's it for yeah, me. That, that is it. Well, um, that's it for our episode. Next time we're going to be finishing the book, I believe. Um, I don't see a reason why we wouldn't at this point. We're going to start with chapter 16 and read the fucking every little thing that's after this. I will say we should probably not just read the list of names over and over again because presumably we will have read them enough yeah uh, I'm fine our... with that. but I, um... I will say it's not necessary if you want to go through it i'm not going to stop you <laughs> fair enough oh holy um, shit what i've got a fold-out map i didn't realize oh wow look at this can you pull it back a little bit is it I'm possible trying to Let me see if i'm here it's a little overexposed. Yes, I can see that because it looks exactly like my tiny little map here. Yeah, but I mean, mine's got red. So. Yours has got red. Um, it's true. Now, Rob, I have to ask you this actually before we end our episode. Does your publishing have the full art paintings in the very middle or is it like spaced out through the book? Well, I'll tell you, Doug, since we already talked about this in the last episode. Uh, it's spaced out throughout the book. See, and the reason I together. brought it up is mine are all together and mine are all right in the middle in this section of the book we just read. Ah. So, so you got I, to look ahead at some paintings. Yeah, I guess. But it also makes it hard for me to identify what I'm looking at because I, mm-hmm. I don't I'm assume I don't know if they're in order. Sure. Like, I don't know if the the first painting, the first painting I see is of somebody riding eagles towards a city that looks a lot like Gondor mm-hmm. and there maybe Gondolin. Probably is Gondolin. It is because I have that in the very first chapter, and that's when Hurin went to go to Gondolin. Right, and then the next one is Hurin in his stone chair in mm-hmm. the uh, in Morgoth's land. Yep. And then the next is uh, two guys crossing a bridge by a hidden elf city. So I'm assuming this is, I don't know what this is. That's you know Turin and Doriath. That's Turin leaving Doriath. Okay, cool, cool, cool. And then the next one is the Bald Mountain. That's Mim the Dwarf. That's Mim the Dwarf. That, that whole almond whatever. Almond okay. And, rude. and the next is some sort of like stalagmite cavern uh, with elves forging a sword. I'm, I'm assuming I'm assuming this is in Gothran. Uh, Gor- what was the name of that fucking place? Nargothrond. Nargothrond. Turin and Nargothrond, yes. Where his, his sword is being reforged yes. by the elves. Got it in one. And then the last, the next one is... Uh, a dark figure walking through dead forests while crows are above him. The coming of Turin into Brethil. Okay, so that's Brethil. And then the next is Galrong burning up a forest. I'm assuming that's 
Nagathrond? Yeah, that's the chapter I haven't read yet. Oh, so oh, I okay. I not be able to so, list anymore. I so didn't then, even realize so, that was in here. And I'm like, oh, that's badass. That's a badass painting. Yeah. So that must be the coming of Galrong in the next chapter. So, Which will be this is exciting because, you know, I like Galrong. And then that'll also help me understand the, the last painting, which you have not seen, which I have. And I kind of think I understand what it is, but we'll get there. So I shouldn't look ahead. Do not look ahead. I think Got that it. you will enjoy being surprised by the paintings when you come to them, cool. as I would have been if the fucking publishers of this paperback had done their job and just simply spaced them out. That's weird that they didn't. It's really annoying. Are your, are yours all um, one-sided? Glossies? Or are they like... Uh, painting on each side of the page. It's a painting on each side, so it'll it'll be like this, uh-huh. and then and then if I switch here, just one page, it's this. Oh, okay, so mine are all uh, single single sided glossies, like actual photographs. So you could you could rip them out of your book and hang them on your wall and look I at them all the time. Could do that. I'm but yours it's that. a library book, so you shouldn't. I shouldn't. Um, I respect okay. my libraries. So again, we're gonna be finishing the book next time, which is exciting and fun. So. If you have nothing else, that was Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. Thanks for listening. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. These reviews help new listeners find us and join the discussion. Follow us on Twitter and like our new Facebook page for Death Readers News. Become a patron at Patreon slash Death Readers. And please discuss us extensively on Reddit. All right. Okay, you ready? Yes. Here we go. Say the magic words. I'm going to start it. I wish the goblins would come and take you away right now. No, we're not going to say that. Oh. I'm ill-prepared to do a magic dance. (gasps) I've never seen that movie. How did you know those words? I've never seen the movie. But you know the words. I don't know the words. I saw my baby crying (laughs) hard as babes could cry. What could I do? It's going to be one of those shows. Hey, it's a kind of magic. That's that's the only words I know. That's a different movie, but I was listening to that soundtrack today <laughs> as I drove my child to school, so that's weird. It's not that weird that you would be listening to that soundtrack. It's really not it's that funny. weird. It's funny, Doug, because Princes of the Universe has one of my top hated key changes or transpositions. Oh, okay. Because, you know, it's all hardcore and metal, since I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, but then it devolves into this, born to be kings, princes of the universe. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like a show tune? Yeah, like a show tune. And the only one more egregious, I was actually thinking about talking to you about this today. Awesome. Is Here's your Crazy small Train. Which, which part the of the Black King... Sabbath, I believe? No, that's just Ozzy Osbourne. But which part of Crazy? Oh, Train? see, I, I, get, I do get that mixed up because I don't know them. Because um, it starts out so badass with his like, you know, cat call maniacal laughter sound, and then this. It's all hardcore and dark, and then just becomes jaunty. Fucking hate it. It does not fulfill the promise of its opening riff. Well, um, maybe it it. it... With Crazy Train, I will say that it does do that, but then when it comes back to the chorus, it does hit that opening, like, refrain again. I never got that far. Oh, really? Yeah. You you, you died on the bridge? <laughs> they took me to the bridge, and I never fucking left. <laughs>